This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I haven't posted a good news update in a while, mostly because, well, there really hasn't been enough good news stories to cover even 10 minutes lately. Take that for what you will. But I'm going to try today because I would like to start 2020 off on the right foot. Plus, frankly, I actually don't like reporting bad news consistently five days each week. There are some good things going on out there, even if some of those good news stories simply amount to prelates doing their jobs in the face of an increasingly hostile world which is never as easy sounding as you and I from the comfort of our homes might think it is to do. So let's get into some good news stories. But first, it is the new year, so let's talk about a way that we can each start the new year off right. I'm not really talking about a traditional resolution per se. I only have one real thing that might be a resolution this year, and that's this. I don't plan to waste my suffering this year. That might sound strange, but remember, as Catholics, we have this peculiar habit of offering up our suffering either for penance for our own sins or for the sins of others. And from an outsider's perspective, it does look peculiar. We can often forget that. You might have noticed that in the past year, there have been numerous calls for penance for the increasingly bizarre behavior we've seen coming out of Rome and from the hierarchy in general, as well as a need for penance for lay and non-believing public figures who commit grave sins against the natural law and against the faith. One thing is for certain in 2020, we will all suffer. And I don't mean that in the sense of increased persecution, though for certain many of the faithful will suffer that way, like they did in 2019 and 2018 and on and on. But by suffering, I mean that we'll all suffer in our everyday lives. For example, I was sick a lot last year and the year before, and as a consequence, I gained a lot of weight. Being ill is one of the classic moments of suffering that Catholics traditionally offer as penance, but did I remember to do that all that much this past year? Nope, mostly I forgot. I may have more to say on this in the near future, especially as I have a deadline for a small newspaper coming that I like to write for, looming in the near future. But for now, with so much penance needed for our own sins, and for sins committed by the people of the world, and by members of the hierarchy, maybe you'll join me in this call for not wasting our suffering this coming year. Life provides many, many opportunities to suffer, and in that suffering, we can grow in our faith, so let's not let these opportunities pass us by in 2020. Now, on to some good news. First, from Australia. Some subscribers have pointed out that Francis excommunicated a legitimately bad priest in the past few days, but the media in the North America didn't pick up on it, which is frankly also legitimate, honestly, because that sort of news loses a lot of its interest as it gets further and further away from where it comes from. So if you have a link to that story, please email it to me or put it in the comments or something. But in searching for that story, I did find a constant theme from Australia that is, frankly, good. The Australian bishops are standing up against their secular government on at least one score. The secular government of Australia is seeking to break the seal of confession. Their reasoning is for the typical reasons. And they're using those typical reasons to, frankly, loot the church in Australia due to past heinous scandals and cover-ups of the McCarrick and Bernadine varieties. 
I have a short excerpt from an article by Crux, which illustrates the seeming sentiment that has been consistently reported for the past few months out of Australian prelates. Quote, the Australian states of Victoria and Tasmania have become the latest in the country to pass legislation criminalizing priests who failed to report the abuse of children disclosed during confession. The country's six states and two territories are all expected to have such laws in place in coming months. But some clerics, including Melbourne Archbishop Peter Cominsoli, one of Australia's most senior and vocal bishops, have vowed to ignore the laws in an effort to uphold the seal of the confessional. Comensoli told Australian Public Radio that he would urge anyone who confessed to child sexual abuse to tell police, but he added that, personally, he would not break the seal, preferring to go to jail. End quote. And sadly, that is the correct answer. And I say sadly because it is becoming apparently obvious that the secular courts are going to use the sins of those representing the church to persecute the church. But this is a good news story because, at least on this score, the bishops down under have remembered why it is that they wear scarlet. Which we don't know, bishops wear scarlet to signify red martyrdom and their willingness to die for the church. It may sound a little extreme to many, but in the end, that is what they are called to do, to die for the church. Being imprisoned to protect the sacraments is part of their duty, and it is refreshing to see that duty being upheld by these bishops. Of course... None of them have been put to that test yet, but so we should keep praying for them. Any sign of leadership in the church doing what is expected of it is worth celebrating, especially when the loss of their freedom is at stake. So often we report stories about the church cozying up to the world, and with the news of the church as bad as it, as it has been coming out of Australia, what with their crazy plenary council happening this year, any good news is worth reporting. If you're in Australia, please let your bishops know that their defense of the sacraments has not gone unnoticed and is greatly appreciated. And pray that they have the grace to defend not only the sacrament of penance, but also the dogmas, doctrines, and traditions of the faith as well, especially in the face of now open endorsement of the Lodge in Australia by some of the hierarchy in that country. In another good news story from the hierarchy, we have a story about Francis promoting a good bishop. I know, right? That is an unusual story to say the least in these times, but it is worth reporting. Bishop Andrew Fuyanya, I know I've said his name right, wrong, of Cameroon has been promoted to be the Metropolitan Archbishop of that country, which is a pretty big deal. If you don't understand why I'm reporting this, let's have Bishop Fuyanya speak in his own words. The following comes from the Synod on the Undermining of the Youth, where the good bishop was a voice of sanity. He says something here that is not often understood in the ongoing crisis in the church. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about with, uh, from this synod is uh, the family aspect. Uh, coming from Africa, the, the, Afri the family is a very, very strong institution within uh, Africa. And uh, we come from a culture where tradition normally is handed from one generation to the other. People ask me, why do you use, why, why are your churches full? Because our traditional values still equate the values in the church. And this is the reason why our youth are all going to church. Because the traditional values of the African people still corresponds with the values of the church. And so, the, we hand over the tradition of our, to our young people undiluted and uncontaminated. And that is why we think that uh, in the Synod, we have to be very clear to our young people. While we are listening to them, 
We should also get the youth to listen to the elders. So listening is a two-way traffic game, as somebody said. It's a two-way game. It's not a one-way traffic. And this is what we are hoping to get out of our synod. That the youth can follow also the elders and that the church is talking to the youth in unambiguous language. Our young people are waiting for direction. And that we give them the direction in a charitable way, yet in truth. I think uh, I'm happy we are going towards the end of the synod. But the biggest point remains the assignment we are carrying home. How to implement whatever decisions will come out of the synod. Thank you very much. Thank you. Did you catch that? The values of African society are traditional, and that is reflected in the church. One of the great problems of our age is that we bring in our secular values into the church, either overtly, as in the case of so much of this nonsense we see now on issues like political hot-button issues becoming the focus of homilies and parish missions and the like, or in our apologetics, like when we see people trying to marry secular political ideologies to the faith, with consistently disastrous results. The abuse scandals in the church today are certainly a reflection of this, as we see McCarrick and Bernadin pushing their agendas in the past that have morally undermined the church through the promotion of not only morally bankrupt political ideas, like the seamless garment, in the church, but also with the literal promotion of morally bankrupt men in the church and the ensuring cover-ups for their crimes that have left a lot of lives destroyed. This comes from the secular world, and it is no coincidence that these crimes exploded during the sexual revolution and after. Yes, there were crimes of this nature beforehand, but the statistics bear out that the numbers of incidents exploded, especially when men of the James Martin persuasion were permitted into the seminaries and priesthoods at higher rates during that turbulent period. This thinking leads men like Pastor Jimmy Martin of the Jesuit Church to promote heterodox ideas of all kinds in public in the name of the church, like, you know, rejecting the infallibility of sacred scripture on certain issues that are close to his heart. All of that to the thunderous applause of the world. The crisis in the church is as much a crisis of attempting to secularize the faith through the adoption of the values of the world, leading to a false gospel. Maybe it's time to close the windows of the church to the world, after their having been opened 60 years ago by John XXIII when what is all probably was a good intention, that experiment has been an utter and total disaster. But Bishop Funyanya gets it, and his promotion is good news. The more bishops we have in positions of authority who recognize that the values of society and the values in the church are linked, the better, especially in Africa where we see a myth being promulgated that Africa is some sort of super traditional place. By comparison to the U.S., Europe, and Australia, sure, it is. But in reality, the forces of Globo Homo have been actively promoting degeneracy on that continent, including agents working on behalf of the U.S. government. Active resistance to that agenda is sorely needed in the developing world, and the promotion of a bishop who will stand in defense of the natural law and society is a good thing indeed. Finally, is there good news stories that I missed? Do you think that more Catholics are waking up to what's going on in the church and applying themselves to prayer and penance, which are the remedies Our Lady has repeatedly called for in the past two centuries? Why do you think she called for the keeping of the five first Saturdays at Fatima? Because of penance. I do tend to think we're seeing more members of the Lady waking up to the situation in the church, and not just in the United States either. That is one of the great myths promoted by the modernists today. That the growth in traditional Catholicism is an American phenomenon, but in reality, Catholics around the world are turning 
to what the church has always taught as a consequence of these times of confusion and diabolic disorientation. Though I'm not trying to imply that it's a huge number of people, but it is an increasing number. But let me know what you think in the comments below. And remember, let's not waste our suffering in 2020. And let's unite that suffering for, uh, in prayer for the church. Thank you for listening. I'm Anthony Stein. Viva Cristo Rey.